Come Follow Him podcast. This podcast is created by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here, we hope to help young adults find relevant principles each week as they study the assigned Come Follow Me scripture block as outlined by the church. This episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life. It is not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies. Any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions, as we have learned to come follow Him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Let's jump in. Welcome back, everybody. It's good to be with you again this week. Uh, as promised, uh, we are back with Brother Stephen Danielson, uh, who's just done some remarkable stuff for us uh, as a student here at Boise State and and uh, just in, around this valley. Uh, he's a choir member of the Institute, um, working hard, uh, planning to head off, right? Yep. He heading, heading away, huh? Yeah, this is probably my last episode, at least for a while, because yeah. I'll be in Rexburg in January. Yeah, so. going to BYUI. Good for you. We were we were actually just discussing before we hit record um, that uh, Brother Danielson's going to study uh, music education, mm-hmm. which is near and dear to my heart. It's what I studied in, in college, but would love to, to teach for the church, which is fitting for what, what you're hearing him do here with us today. So anyway, welcome, Brother. It's good to have you. I'm glad to be back. Um, Merry Christmas, everybody. It's Christmas week. Um, we... Uh, it really didn't have a, there's not a specific scripture block this week. The church in Come Follow Me just kind of backs off and lets you talk about Christmas this week. And uh, we've generally covered the the full breadth of the New Testament. Uh, finishing up last week with Brother Diebel. Uh, we do have at least one episode, if not two, of uh, the apostasy period with uh, Brother Neil Knight that probably will drop midweek this week. We'll have them uh, come out maybe Tuesday uh, we just wanted a couple of days of this one to be able to float, and then uh, we'll put some apostasy things out, and we'll put those out at the same time, uh, just so everybody can kind of listen to those back-to-back. That's kind of how they'll be designed. But um, loving uh, having an opportunity to talk with Stephen today about Christmas, and I didn't give him any direction. I just said, talk to us about Christmas and walk us through the Christmas story in a, in a way that gives us a little more depth, a little more understanding. And and uh, just based on our brief conversation at the beginning, he's uh, told me what a little bit of what he's going to do, and I think it's going to be great. So with that, Stephen, take it away. What uh, Where do you want to start? What should we what should we jump into? All right. So uh, a big part of what we're doing, uh, sort of looking through the Christmas story, all the different aspects of it that we read about in the Bible, and seeing how bits and pieces, almost all of it, was uh, foretold and predicted and prophesied about in the Old Testament, sure, yeah. uh, and also in the Book of Mormon a little bit, uh, how these people knew of all these things beforehand and knew a pretty general layout of exactly what was going to happen yeah. at Christmas time yeah, yeah, when great. Christ was born. That's great. Even things, little things like Bethlehem being mm-hmm. uh, the city that Christ would be from, right? That that idea that uh, nobody knew where he was going to be born is kind of silly. They did know they, if they were studied, right? Even mm-hmm. even when he came the first time. So, perfect. Okay, so so should we just look? At, do we start with Luke two? And I think Luke the... two is a great place to start. Okay, let's do that. Luke two, and uh, you want to start reading for us? Yeah. So, we'll just start right at the beginning. There should sound really familiar to a yeah, lot of people, right? Uh, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. 
And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. <laughs> so he could stop there. Already, just in these verses here, there's been quite a bit, like, like three or four things that have been predicted uh, from the Bible. Sure. Uh, the first one that it mentions says that Joseph went out of the city of Nazareth. Mm -hmm. And this is actually a really interesting one to start with because this is unlike all of the other ones. Mm -hmm. uh, with most of these other prophecies, uh, we can turn somewhere else in the Bible and see a very specific prophecy listing this out. Mm -hmm. uh, but not Nazareth. The, this one is sort of missing from the Bible. Sure. But Luke points it out here, and Matthew also points it out in Matthew chapter 2. Okay. Uh, he says that they came from Nazareth uh, to fulfill a prophecy that said that Jesus will be called a Nazarene. Mm -hmm. And this isn't found anywhere in our Bible. Hmm. Uh, it's a verse that has obviously been lost, whether it's by a prophet that we have or a prophet that we don't have any record of. Yeah. It's just a verse that we don't have at all. Hmm. Interesting. That is really interesting. That they would know a little bit about Bethlehem being a place mm -hmm. um, is something that um, that we have some some reference to, some some scriptural reference to, right? But but Nazareth, I didn't realize that that there's no um, there's no scriptural uh, hi history of it being prophesied of from that place. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, there is one spot where it does talk about it. It's not in the Bible at all. It's actually in the Book of Mormon. Okay. Uh, in 1 Nephi chapter 11, okay. when Nephi is having his vision, uh, basically encompassing all of history, mm -hmm. uh, when he sees the Savior, he says in uh, 1 Nephi 11.13, And it came to pass that I looked and beheld the great city of Jerusalem, and also other cities. And I beheld the city of Nazareth. And in the city of Nazareth, I beheld a virgin, and she was exceedingly fair and white. Hmm. And he goes on to talk about how this virgin was Mary, and she conceived the Son of God, mm -hmm. uh, Jesus Christ, as we see in verse 21. And the angel said unto me, Behold the Lamb of God, even the Son of the Eternal Father. Huh. Uh, so we see that Nephi here saw Nazareth as the birthplace of Christ, uh, which leads me to believe that this prophecy of Nazareth was given after uh, Nephi's time, so sure. after Isaiah and Jeremiah and all sure. of them, so sort of in the latter end of the Bible or of the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah, interesting. That's really interesting. I, I think, um, you know, most of the things about Christ's birth were were foretold, mm -hmm. um, and, and I wonder if it has to do some with that his father, uh, Joseph, being from Nazareth, right, really wasn't his father. I mean, mm -hmm. his step, stepfather, right? But but maybe because of that, the, the Lord just saw fit or God just saw fit not to, to cite his father's um, lineage or, or, or place of residence because ultimately his father was God, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. I like that. Okay, what else in there? Yeah. Well, I like how you point out Bethlehem because this yeah. one, like you said, we do have very distinct sure. uh, scriptures saying this. Yeah. If we go to the book of Micah mm -hmm. in the Old Testament, uh, chapter 5, verse 2. Um, Micah 5 2, but thou Bethlehem Ephratah, uh, though thou be little among thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Hmm. Ruler in Israel, there it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, the king of the Jews. Yeah, that's uh, cool. Yeah, I, I like uh, what he says here. Uh, although thou, thou, thou shalt be little among the thousands of Judah, uh -huh. yet out of thee shall come he that is the ruler. Sort of that 
uh, last shall be first type, type yeah. thing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but I, I also like how you pointed out earlier uh, that all of these things are very plainly set, mm -hmm. uh, laid out, uh, but the Jews still sort of missed it. Yeah. They, they weren't necessarily looking at Bethlehem as any great important place. Yeah. It was just this little tiny town, yeah. well, though it be little among Judah. Yeah. I and mean, that's what it is. It's not a huge place. It's a little suburb of Jerusalem. Yeah. Um, a little town of Bethlehem yep. is referenced, right? I mean, and, and I, I might also point out Matthew chapter 2, uh, when the wise men are being directed, and maybe you're going to go here, um, when we get to verse 6, um, this says, uh, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor, thou shalt rule my people Israel, right? So, so this is maybe a throwback reference mm -hmm. to Micah, that the, the people who were following and looking for the coming of the Christ would have had this reference to Bethlehem uh, in Micah, and, and at least the wise men being directed here um, very similarly um, to Bethlehem again, yeah. right? Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. And we don't necessarily see how many people came to visit Christ. I mean, we have a record of the shepherds and of wise men. It was just some number of wise men. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily just three of them. Right. Uh, but that's really it. There were some people watching for all these signs, yeah. waiting for something to happen in Bethlehem. Yeah. But not very many. We read in Jacob about the Jews looking beyond the mark. Right. How they're looking for something big. Yeah. But... I mean, the Lord works in very small means, in very small places in this circumstance. Yeah, well, and, and, and what I just referenced in Matthew 2 is actually, uh, you know, Herod saying, well, uh, he says in verse 4, when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. So Herod wasn't necessarily studying. <laughs> he, he didn't even know. <laughs> but they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, right? So the, verse 5 is that they, they just reference it. And then they say, for thus it is written by the prophet, the prophet being Micah, mm -hmm. right? And then reference verse 6, which I read, right? That, that so, so those that were studying, like you said, those that were studying and looking for the Christ, knew where to look for him, um, but that, uh, that there were many who were looking beyond the mark, I think is pretty significant. Maybe like today. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's a very similar type or shadow of what we've got going today. Yeah, I mean, with the second coming just yeah. around the corner, who knows exactly when it's going to be? But if yeah. we're studying, if we know what to look for, we're yeah. going to know what to look for, where to look, exactly. about when to look. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you won't be surprised when exactly. Christ comes again if you're looking for him, right? Yeah. And, and President Nelson has cited the last days of the latter days. <laughs> I think we're, we're safe to say it's sometime soon, if, not, if nothing more than that. But Love it. Okay, so these people kind of knew where to look mm -hmm. into Bethlehem, but maybe not necessarily coming out of Nazareth. No. Nope. Um, but good. And, and I might point out that Caesar had just kind of created a new tax, um, and that's why the people were going, was to go to pay this new tax. Um, they probably would have been gathered to Jerusalem around this time anyway. It was kind of the month of the feasts. Uh, a whole bunch of feasts were being yep. done at the time. So, so they would have been gathering anyway. And Caesar thought, well, it's, not, it's a great it's a nice time convenient to yeah, <laughs> collect all the tax I want. So, so that's what they were going for. Uh, that's referenced in verse 1 there as well. So, Okay, keep going. What else is in there? Yeah. Well, one more thing in verse 4. Okay. Uh, it 
the, the reason that Bethlehem was so important is because this is the city of David. Yeah. Because David was, I mean, Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. Right. And so was Mary. We have her lineage, I think, in the book of Mark. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. Yeah, and they're both descended from David. This is another prophecy. Uh, Isaiah really likes talking about mm -hmm. that one. Mm -hmm. He brings it up a couple times. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 11, okay. verse 1, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. Mm. Mm. Uh, that one's a bit more poetic in sure. what it's saying, because it's Isaiah. Yeah. It's, it's what he does. Uh, but we know from modern revelation, from some explanation in Second Nephi, mm -hmm. uh, that this is referring to Christ coming, that rod out of the stem of Jesse. Uh, that branch yeah. uh, that uh, it's been predicted that he would come from Jesse, who is the father of David, and that he would come from that royal line. Right. Yeah, and I think that that reference to Jesse is a reference to David, effectively, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, and again, like you pointed out, we do have reference to uh, Mary being of the same lineage. Um, and so, ultimately, Christ would have been uh, uh, of, of noble birth, had the Jews been allowed to reign and rule in Jerusalem uh, if, if the Romans weren't in power, right? So Christ would have had double mm -hmm. par parentage uh, to, to lead, let him be the leader, right? Which I think is significant uh, because, like you said earlier, Jesus doesn't care too much about Joseph being his father. We see that throughout yeah. the beginning of his life. Like right. when they're in the temple, ought I not to be about my father's business? He's yeah. not referencing Joseph. He's right. referencing his heavenly father. Yeah. Uh, the people, I mean, the Jews around them, would have seen Joseph as his father. Yeah. Uh, and so the lineage through Joseph would have been what mattered to them, connecting that to David. Yeah. But to Christ himself, the lineage through Mary being his actual parent, right. that is what would matter the most to him. Isn't that interesting? And it's interesting to me, too, that the scriptures cite lineage as a, as a matter of import, but, um, but ultimately if God is your father, like that ought to be like, there's a direct link there, direct line, that ought to like trump all other lineages, but that prophets knew that the lineage of Christ uh, on earth, the, the moral lineage mattered as well to tie him to the kingly David, right? And through Mary and through Joseph, mm -hmm. I think that's a, a sign that Heavenly Father knew exactly what the people would need in order to see him at all like a, like a king. And, and so they, uh, he, he allowed that lineage to exist, and that's the way that, that, that he came about. I think that's really cool. Uh, the, I was looking at verse, verse 5, uh, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Uh, espousal um, is, is a kind of akin to our engaged concept but mm -hmm. but so much more uh, so much more legal I think in in Christ's day than than what we what we understand a today a, 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 an engagement is just kind of a I'm gonna marry you and it'll be great and I got you a ring and isn't this great but there was some legal uh, connectivity uh, once you had become a spouse to marry someone um, that gave you I, rights is the wrong word, but but kind of rights yeah. uh, to that person and to, to have uh, some expectation of them and whatnot. And so that, that word being used, I think, is 
is much more significant than to today when we talk about being engaged. And, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes we put those two right next to each other and assume they're the same. And they're, they're very different the way that those were treated back then. So just maybe point that out. I think that's worth, worth yeah. saying. No, I like that. Okay, so uh, we're, we keep going? Uh, yeah. So actually on that note, with Mary just being Joseph's espoused wife, it's a well-known fact. Uh, I mean, she's called the Virgin Mary. Right. Mary and Joseph were not married at the time when Christ was born. Right. They were espoused, but they weren't married. But this was also prophesied, very uh, famous prophecy also by Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 7.14 Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. And this is one cited by Matthew as well. Emmanuel meaning God with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, his prophecy that he would come from a virgin. Yeah. Uh, now this one, if I can go a bit off track a little sure. bit, away from Christmas, this is actually a very interesting prophecy. Uh, we see this a lot, especially in Isaiah's writings, sort of this twofold meaning, two different uh, words versus prophecies. Sure. Uh, and the same thing goes here. Uh, this prophecy sort of just comes out of the middle of nowhere. Hmm. Uh, Isaiah's just talking to King Ahaz, and Ahaz is freaking out. He's like, Assyria's going to conquer right, us. Yeah. And he's like, hey, don't worry about it. The, God's going to give you a sign. There's going to be a Messiah one day. <laughs> and it really doesn't seem to fit with anything sure. going on. Yeah. Uh, this prophecy here uh, also could have reference to King Hezekiah, who was the next king after Ahaz. Okay. Uh, the word that it uses for virgin could also just mean young woman, okay. uh, the Hebrew word there. Uh, and so this verse could, if we keep going, it says, Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and to choose the good. And before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Mm. Uh, and so Hezekiah, who was a very righteous king, uniting the people, uh, and sort of raising up a righteous nation before it was eventually destroyed again with sure. Zedekiah. Sure. Uh, I mean, he, before he was old enough to cry my mother, my father, to really comprehend what's happening, yeah. Assyria had been overthrown. Yeah. That wasn't a problem anymore. Well, now we have Babylon, and that's going to sweep him out later. Right, yeah. uh, but it sort of shows a little more relevance to Isaiah's day. Uh, that this is something that would have had relevance. It's not just, I'm going to send a Messiah eventually. It's also, I'm going to send this king. He's going to unite the people. And before he's even old enough to take over, your enemies are going to be gone. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. I had had never made that connection. I think that, that, again, as you study Isaiah, you can study Isaiah for his day and study Isaiah for Christ's day and past and history and our day. And right, I mean, he's so... uh, uh, multifaceted in the way he was writing and prophesying about things. I think that's really cool. You can connect there. I love that. I love that. So we've got Mary and Joseph. They are going into uh, into out of Nazareth uh, into Bethlehem um, to be taxed. Mary is great with child, according to verse 5. And then we go on. Yeah. Yep. You want me to keep reading? Yes. Okay, I'll read 6, maybe 7. Uh, yeah. So it was. It, so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. All right. So another pause. Going back actually to those exact same verses in Isaiah seven. Okay. Uh, that second part says, "Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and huh. choose the good." Huh. Uh, 
the butter and honey is significant. Uh, this is the most common food for people. It's the easiest to find. It's wild. You can make butter in about 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's not hard to come by. This is the food of the lowest class of people. Okay. Uh, and so by saying this in relation to uh, the savior of the world, uh, is sort of stating that humble circumstance he's going to be born into. Uh -huh. As we see here, uh, he's wrapped in swaddling clothes, it's nothing fancy. Uh, he's laid in a manger, the trough that the horses feed out of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he doesn't even have an uh, inn to stay in. He's in a barn. Yeah. Uh, the circumstances of Christ's birth were extremely humble. Mm -hmm. This wasn't something new either. This was prophesied. He yeah. was going to be sort of the lower class of people. He wasn't going to come in full power and yeah. glory right away. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. You know, there's, there's something really cool about swaddling clothes and swaddling bands, sometimes they're called. Um, the, obviously, to to wrap and protect the Christ child, right? They lay him in a manger. Um, that exact same process happened with lambs when they were born. Um, that you would wrap a lamb in a swaddling band to keep it from, you know, knocking itself around as it was trying to learn to walk. Um, and especially right after they were born, to keep them warm and to and to protect them, they would mm -hmm. do that. And then even maybe lay them in a manger. Um, and so it's it's maybe significant on the front end that Christ was laid in a manger, very similar to a lamb, um, knowing that he would be the Lamb of God. But but ultimately, then the other thing that I think is really interesting is um, swaddling clothes were things that people, when they were traveling, would wear around their waist. It was just a band of clothing, uh, like gauze, that they would wrap around their waist many, many times, mm -hmm. um, so that if they died on their journey, the people that, that were around them had their swaddling clothes to wrap them as a um, before burying them, um, as, a, as a method of burial. So it's interesting that at his birth, Christ is both treated as the Lamb of God, and maybe a little bit of foreshadowing about how he would he would die as well, yeah. and, and then be buried in the in the tomb. Just that idea that we wrapped this this perfect little child in swaddling clothes that can have you know two very different meanings. Yeah, uh, I think is there's there's much more there than what we pick up on when we read you know verse six and, and we kind of get it or verse seven. We just kind of get it. I think, I think we're so used to just hearing this story every Christmas. Yeah. I think. Most people have some sort of tradition where you'll like see a nativity or act out the nativity or something. Yeah. And so this is just so ingrained in our brain, we don't even really think about what it's really saying, right. what all is actually going on here. Yeah, and I think the culture of the day paints a lot uh, of a picture for us too, right? That, that we would know that. Um, really would help me think. Okay, well, where'd they even get swaddling pants from? They're in the middle of a, in a, you know, a manger out there in the in a barn, effectively. That swaddling bands existed uh, would have been pretty typical. That yeah. would have been what would have been in that in that space. So anyway, I just think that's kind of a cool, oh, that's fascinating, cool thing there. So let's read. Um, let's just look at just a just a little bit in verse eight, uh, nine maybe. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for you unto all people. Um, I, I, uh, I, I think a little bit about, you know, if an angel came to my room, think about Joseph and, and Moroni showing up to his room, right? Would that be a scary experience? I think kind of it probably would yeah. be, especially because he's, he's, he's told to come. He comes in the glory of the Lord, and it all shone round about him, right? This, this, this massively glorious person showing up, um, I, I would be fearful of that experience. 
And it's interesting to me that the angels multiple times, and maybe it's the same angel coming to these, um, these shepherds here as came to Mary, but, but the same kind of message when they show up, that to fear not, right? That mm-hmm. idea that, I don't want you to be afraid right now. I, I recognize that this is a pretty massive experience <laughs> you're having, right? You're just but, all by yourself, and so yeah. there's a big glowing person. Right, right. <laughs> but to not be afraid, I think, is a, uh, an interesting uh, thing, I think, just to, to take note of. I don't know why this comes to my mind, but but in talking about the Doctrine and Covenants and learning about, you know, how you can know if a if a messenger of, is of God or of the devil, um, there's there's some uh, discussion in there about, you know, trying to shake his hand, and if mm-hmm. if the messenger be of the adversary, then he'll attempt to shake your hand, and but you won't feel anything, and if it's from God and he doesn't have a body, um, he will just give his message, and mm-hmm. he, won't, he won't pretend. If he does have a body, he's resurrected being, like Moroni maybe would have been, he can shake your hand, and it would have been, um, you would feel his hand. So I don't know why that comes to my mind, other than the idea that the from the beginning, a messenger of the adversary would try to trick you, mm-hmm. would try to fool you, and I don't think he would tell you to not be afraid. I think he, want, he would want you to feel his glory and his power, right? And maybe that uh, reference from the temple a little bit in there, but but I, I just think there's something tender in here about the angel saying, "Fear not." You know, I'm I know that this is kind of a big moment, but but don't be afraid. Um, there's a there's a church video of the uh, shepherds out in the field, and the angel comes, and they're like backing up, <laughs> just trying like almost Run running away. away, right? And I think that that's how it would be. It would be a a pretty massive moment in life. But anyway, I think that's uh, just something I want to touch yeah. on there. No, one more note on that. Yeah. Uh, it's also here as well as when he's talking to Mary, uh, just assuming it's the same angel. Yeah. He says, fear not. And then he says, I have tidings of great joy. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, complete opposite of fear. You should be rejoicing right, yeah. that I am here uh, because the Savior is born. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, this is something that I sort of think about a lot when doing my own personal scripture study, but it always has this theme of joy. Yeah. There's always a lot of joy in the gospel, and joy of the Savior, joy of the atonement. Uh, and it sort of gets me thinking about my own life. Uh, how often am I and we are, how often are we really joyful and do we experience that sure. joy yeah. from our Savior and from the atonement? Uh, I think we've sort of developed this uh, culture of somberness. Yeah. Everything about the gospel has to be very serious and yeah. has to be very uh, somber and down low and you can't show too much emotion, but the gospel is a gospel of rejoicing. Yeah. Christ came and he was born, he died and was resurrected for each of us. Yeah. This is the greatest news Joyful. of the entire world. Right, yeah. <laughs> Joyful. It, it reminded me, and, and, and for some reason I have a cross-reference to Matthew 10.34 where Christ is teaching, he says, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. His message really divides the earth, right? It mm-hmm. has kind of caused a division. But but going back to that, when the messenger comes down and he says, I have this message of, of joy, of glory, um, uh, good tidings of great joy, he goes on and multitude of angels show up, right? And they then are praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Um, And I think it's just interesting that when Christ comes and gives you peace or gives you joy, as you've referenced, um, it isn't holistically to the world, Mm -hmm. right? It, It really is an individual experience that you gain joy or peace because of your connection to Christ, your connection to the Savior. It's interesting to me that 
the angels in this place come to even this place, right? Like, why? Why why show up to these, I don't know how many shepherds there are, but why show up to this random group of shepherds out in the middle of a field and not just have the angel come and say, hey, go look at Christ over there underneath the star, but to say, um, here, we're going to have this angelic experience, and oh, by the way, we're going to open the heavens to you, and you're going to see the multitudes, <laughs> All the right? Are well, it seems such a strange moment to me, other than to say, these shepherds must have been looking for the ultimate shepherd mm-hmm. and the sheep, and being so cognizant of where what they were looking for, that as soon as Christ was born, almost like the brother of Jared couldn't be held back from the veil, yeah. I wonder if these shepherds were in such a place where literally the glory of God had to come down amongst them as soon as they learned that Christ had been born. And uh, peace came to each one of them, I think, in that moment, and joy and glory mm-hmm. and all those things. Um, but it didn't come holistically to the earth. It didn't. Christ didn't come and like spread peace instantly, right? It was. It was something that that is is spread ultimately throughout the earth, but through every individual receiving it and giving it. Yeah, I mean that's sort of the point of the whole light the world thing that the church does yeah. every year and that we're participating in right now yeah. through December leading up to Christmas. Uh, is spreading that light and that joy one person at a time. Yeah. Uh, just helping light just one person's day, yeah. and maybe that'll spread to someone else. Maybe not, but yeah. it's just one by one, we can light everything. Really cool. I, I love that, and, and I'm grateful that you referenced that. The, uh, if you haven't seen the uh, what the church did at Times Square uh, when they mm-hmm. kicked off Light the World this year, um, they I don't know how much it cost, but they purchased <laughs> like space on all of those screens in Times yeah. Square, and they ran uh, kind of a... A video that moved from screen to screen all the way around that area. And yeah, it was really cool. I don't know how they did that. Yeah, really cool. If you haven't had time, go go just like go look up "Light the World" in Times Square. I'm sure you'll find it. Um, but but what was touching to me about that is at the very beginning, before they really start the 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 video or the music going on, um, they show Times Square and it's just a whole bunch of people bustling around, rushing from place to place. And then as soon as they uh, start that video and it's Christ and you see the the nativity scene and and whatnot there, they pan kind of away and you get to see the what Times Square turns into. And ultimately, every person on Times Square <laughs> stops moving and has their phones out and they're videoing what they're seeing mm-hmm. and, they're, and they're just so enthralled in the moment. And I, I, like you said, I think that's maybe how uh, we feel joy. I think that's how we feel peace. But, it, but again, that's a, it may be a group of people having that mm-hmm. experience, but it's an individual moment. They're all feeling it. They're all feeling it. Right? Yeah, I think that's really cool. So thank you. That's a that's a wonderful thing to have, have touched on. Um, maybe we jump out of uh, Luke chapter two now. Yeah. Uh, where where would we go if we did that? Uh, probably Matthew. Okay. Uh, Matthew chapter two. This is okay. now where the wise men are coming in. We've already sort of touched on them a little bit. Okay. Uh, and actually, before we even go into Matthew too much. Just the fact that there are wise men coming to bring gifts to the Savior is a prophecy fulfilled in and of itself. Huh. Uh, if we go to the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 72. Okay. This is one of the Messianic Psalms uh, talking about the coming of the Messiah. Okay. And in verses 10 and 11, it says, The kings of Tarshish and of the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Hmm. Uh, which was fulfilled very literally. These wise men, sometimes kings, uh, were coming to fall down, bear gifts 
to the Christ child. Mm. That's really cool. Later in that chapter, 17, uh, his name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call, call him blessed. Uh, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who only doeth wondrous things. Uh, anyway, I, I just think there's a, a, a reference to the Savior that, that is coming at this early, early stage. I mean, mm-hmm. Psalms is like David yeah. you know, way back, right? So, so yeah, I think that's really very a, a, a very cool connection to, to what we're reading there, especially about the, the wise men. And what they brought um, was significant, you know, that, that they were bringing some real wealth um, to, to the family and to establish and to help um, the Savior's family be successful or at least have something. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much they brought or how long it lasted, but but you, I, I remember being a young parent, and if somebody handed me a hundred bucks, I was like, sweet, <laughs> you know. Um, but but Joseph being a carpenter and and uh, Mary being young, I'm sure they they weren't of of significant wealth, um, and and uh, I think this would have been a tender thing, a tender experience. Um, Christ probably was a little older at this point as well, mm-hmm. right? So not really necessarily in the manger. Yeah. Uh, maybe a toddler of sorts, but very cool. Very cool. I, I might just point out um, uh, frankincense is um, a wonderful uh, balm or ointment for burning. If, you, if you've received a burn or um, uh, a skin skin you know burn like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm amazed at what frankincense can do. So the medicinal properties of of the things they were bringing, probably plus the wealth. Yeah, you know there there was a lot going on there, there in those gifts that they were offering and and that they had traveled as far as they had and had done what they had done to get there. I think is pretty significant. So yeah, very symbolic. Yeah, uh, we're a king of king and lord of lords, who is the healer of our souls. Yeah, and those things uh, really correlate a lot with that. Yeah, and that these would have probably been kings of their area, yeah. right? That that they came to to worship him is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, uh, if we just start right at the beginning of chapter two in Matthew, okay. it says, "Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him.'" Mm-hmm. Now this part I think is. Very interesting. The star in the east. Yeah. Uh, the to the Jewish people and really any culture back in these days, but especially to the Jews, the stars had a lot of significance, a lot more than they do to us. Mm. I mean, to us, I mean, first off, there's so much light pollution we can't even see most of the stars <laughs> right, half the time. Right. <laughs> uh, but I mean, for us, they're just cool lights in the sky, and yeah. that's really it. Yeah. But for the people here. This is how they told their time. This is how they knew where they were. They used them for navigation. Yeah. Uh, it was also more of a cultural thing. The de- position of the stars could help determine holidays. Sure. Uh, this is how they knew when Passover was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stars were very significant in the Jewish culture. And so having that star, uh, which is mentioned many times, I'll pull up some of those scriptures in a second, uh, but mentioned several times as a sign of uh, Christ's birth. This is something they would have been watching for. Yeah. Uh, if a new star appeared for us, we probably wouldn't realize right. it. Right. <laughs> but when the new star appeared for them, they know the stars and yeah. they know what's up there and they are looking to find, okay, when there's one that's new, that's the one that's going to lead us yeah. to our Savior. Yeah, and isn't that an interesting sign too? Um, I, I, my mind just went to Helaman chapter 14 um, where we're learning a, a little bit about um, 
Christ's birth. Samuel's predicting this here. Um, it says in verse 5, Behold, there shall be a new star. Sorry, behold, let me do that again. It says in verse 5, And behold, there shall a new star arise, such an one as ye have never seen, sorry, have never beheld. And this also shall be a sign unto you. And behold, this is not all. There shall be many signs and wonders in heaven. Um, and it shall come to pass that ye shall be amazed and wonder insomuch that ye shall fail, fall to the earth. This idea that they lived and died kind of by the stars, it kind of makes me wonder if we know what star it was. It's interesting to me that that hasn't been passed down, mm -hmm. at least as far as I know. Um, that, you know, is it the North Star? Is it the, you know, what is it? The, the, you know, part of the Big Dipper. What is yeah. it, right? <laughs> that, that we don't really know what star that is, is significant to me because all of a sudden a new star shows up in space where people had been functioning with that, the, that space scape mm -hmm. of sorts, right? All of a sudden there's a new star and that it is directly over something, right? You and I know how space works enough to understand that doesn't, space doesn't stay the same, right? The Earth's rotation and, and whatnot moves things around. And so that, that a star stays stagnant in the sky is such an interesting concept to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and maybe it, uh, I mean, that's sort of our uh, traditional view of it as a star. I mean, in our nativity depictions, it's always directly over Christ. Right. But maybe perhaps it wasn't that way. Mm. Uh, I mean, these are the wise men from the east. They see the star in the west leading yep. them towards Christ, and they just follow it. Yep. They don't necessarily know where it's going oh, to true. go. Uh, they just keep following that star, keep going west, and eventually they get to Herod, huh. and they say, hey, where are we going? Yeah. I mean, we know that, like you said, we know it's supposed to be in Bethlehem. We're pretty close to Bethlehem. Right. I and mean, the star's generally let, let right us here over here yeah. is there a christ over here yeah. was he born interesting yeah i guess because once you <laughs> once you get to bethlehem it's not like the star is like 400 feet in the sky mm -hmm. right over the you know the the manger scene and which is which is i think kind of what our our typical nativities portray but it wouldn't have been that way it would have been you know a star that's generally leading and so i like that idea that you know that the rotation of the earth and all could have still continued and those wise men just kind of followed that mm -hmm. direction and I'm, I'm doing hand things where yeah. my <laughs> where my hand is moving side to side a little bit right as i move forward but anyway that's a that's an interesting concept i never really thought of that i love that yeah but okay. just uh for some scriptures on that one numbers twenty four seventeen. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Seth. Mm. Uh, I think there's a sort of literalism that the ancient Jews had that we don't have a lot right now. The sure. ancient Jews had very little room for symbolism. It just mm -hmm. wasn't something they were into very much, sure. which is why the words of Isaiah were very hard for them because a lot of that yeah. is symbolic. But yeah. when he says that a star shall come out of Jacob, it is a reference to the Messiah just as that star, mm -hmm. but it's also very literal. They knew that a star was going to come. This was one of those prophecies that a star is going to come with the Messiah. That's mm -hmm. something that you should be looking for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. that Just the, the last reference to um, slay the sons of Seth um, I don't know that I have anything on that. I was just looking it up in the in the Bible dictionary. Uh, Seth, being a son of Adam and Eve, born in the 130th year of Adam's life, uh, prophet and a patriarch. He was ordained by Adam at the age of 69. He was called a perfect man, and his likeness was the express likeness of his father inasmuch that he seemed to be like unto his father in all things. Um, the record says he lives 912 years, so I'm not exactly sure what that reference is to. Uh, is there a cross-reference on that? 
Um, that reference of Seth there. You can take some time on it. I just kind of yeah, curious why that, back. why that's in there. Destroy yeah, the sons sure of I Seth. Didn't actually think on that too much. There isn't. It's just there. It looks like the whoever was putting this together really doesn't know either. Yeah, read it again for me. Uh, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Seth. Huh. It's spelled Sheth, but that's just S another spelling. We see that in Chronicles as well. Yeah, S-H-E-T-H, -S right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so even though the spelling is slightly different, I'm not sure that we really know um, much about what, that, what that's a reference to. And so maybe it's a completely different person than who we would, yeah. who we would read in the Bible dictionary about Seth, right? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Good. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. And That's one cool. one other reference I'd like to make to the star. Uh, this is sort of going out of our canonical scriptures, okay. uh, going more into apocryphal works. Okay. Uh, in the so a big apocryphal work is the uh, Testament of the twelve patriarchs, okay. the twelve sons of Jacob, the twelve tribes of Israel. Sure. Okay. And in the Testament of Levi. Uh, the words that Jacob spoke to Levi when giving him a blessing, okay. uh, he speaks about the Messiah. He says in chapter 5 of this Testament of Levi, uh, verse 15, And his star shall arise in heaven as of a king, lighting up the light of knowledge as the sun of the day, and he shall be magnified in the world. Hmm. So hmm. I don't have 100% knowledge of how reliable these sources are, because they are apocryphal books, sure. but it is still cool to see uh, that these prophecies are not just confined to our yeah. uh, couple thousands of pages of scriptures that we have canonically, yeah. but they existed in other books as well. People knew about this, uh, and it was something that they were looking for. Yeah, yeah, I like that, and, and I think they're, you know, I, I don't know that uh, that it's wrong to, to look at some of those resources and those records. How often do we hear from prophets and apostles, things that they've found in in uh, reference to something that we also we know uh, we know doctrinally from from um, scripture you know canonized scripture that we that we read from but that they find supporting documentation from mm -hmm. uh, apocryphal works and and uh, even just scholars right yeah. that that, uh, that find things that are uh, of value to support the doctrines that we that we do know uh, I, I love that I think I think that's maybe just more I don't know proof is the right word but evidence of the Savior's um, prophesied coming, right? That, that it's not just found in our mm -hmm. canonized scripture, but that it's it's really everywhere. Yeah, it's something that all people knew about. Mm. I mean, if we are all God's children, mm. he would want to tell at least as many people as are willing to listen yeah. what is going to happen, how to mm. get the most out of life, how yeah. to make it back to him, and what to look for for their Savior. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. So we've got these... We've got these um, Wise men being directed by the star, they show up to Judah, or sorry, to Herod, and they say, hey, where are we going? Uh, Herod gathers his wise men, uh, we kind of touched on it earlier, gathered mm -hmm. his wise men together, they tell him, well, probably in Bethlehem. Um, but then the wise men are kind of pulled aside by a messenger of God, right? Mm -hmm. And told, hey, don't, uh, don't do what don't Herod Don't go that way. <laughs> yeah, don't do what Herod asks, because Herod asks them to come back and to tell him. Uh, where the Savior is so that he could go and worship him. We know that is not at all what Herod's no. objective was, right? Um, but uh, and, and then some pretty horrific things happened to the children of that area uh, because uh, the wise men don't go back mm -hmm. and tell him yeah. uh, where the Christ was. And it's actually very interesting that out of all of the parts of this story, this episode with Herod, 
I mean, probably the reason that Matthew even chose to put it in here was because pretty much every detail of this was prophesied uh, in the Old Testament. Yeah. Uh, we see uh, Herod gets really angry. The wise men don't come back. He just goes into an yeah. outrage and just says, all right, so they're not going to tell me. We're just going to kill every single child. Yeah. Uh, and so an angel comes to Joseph and says uh, in verse 13, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be there until I bring thee word. Yeah. Uh, and this is fulfillment of a prophecy that Matthew actually cites uh, from the book of Hosea. Uh, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Okay. He says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's prophesied that Jesus was going to come out of Egypt. Yeah. We sort of see all of these uh, prophecies in the Old Testament, he's going to be from Bethlehem. He's yeah. going to be from Nazareth. He's right. going to be from Egypt. And it's like, how are how these, these all places? going to work? I yeah. mean, even in Alma, he says that he will be from or at Jerusalem. Yeah. I mean, there's all these places. Which one? It doesn't seem like it could be all of them. But yeah. with this storyline here, it works for every single one of them. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I, uh, I appreciate that you went there. That, that story, I think, gets lost. Um, I think we we generally, maybe in the church, but I think generally as Christians, we jump from Christ's birth. We we kind of mash together the wise men coming to his mm -hmm. birth, like they like they showed up to the manger scene. We know that that's not true because of verse eleven, because the wise men come and it says, and when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, fell down and worshipped him. And so so you know they're they're now at a house not a manger scene, yeah. right? So we know that, that this was sometime later. Um, but, but I think even more importantly that, that we skip in the chronological order of things that Christ went from this experience with the uh, wise men and receiving gifts to um, this time where he's in, in uh, Egypt. Mm -hmm. and, and we kind of bounce from the last known time we have as receiving gifts to now he's at the temple as a young person teaching in the temple, right? And this, this period of Joseph and Mary's life where they would have gone down to Egypt, they would have had some very, um, very different experiences probably um, because of you know, just what Egypt was. Yeah. Um, the youngest years of Christ's formative life would have been spent in a very um, ritualistic space looking at things done in a very different way than they were going to be have done in, in Jerusalem. And I think that's maybe something just to keep in mind that when he comes to Jerusalem and sees uh, the, the worship of false gods in any form or fashion, he'd all probably seen it in massive level when he lived in Egypt mm -hmm. um, and had that as very formative experiences in his life probably, uh, as a young person especially. So I appreciate that you took us there because I think it's, it's sometimes skipped. And they stay there for, for we don't really know how long. I don't think... Um, until the death of Herod, though. Yeah, it just says in verse 19, but when Herod was dead, doesn't doesn't really give us a time frame yeah, there. Yeah, uh, Herod being angry after the wise men don't come back, uh, so he slays all the children, uh, and it gives a very specific space. Slew all, this is in verse 16, slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and, un and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So, so he knew that that Christ had been born in the last two years. So the wise men had had given some reference to Christ's probable age. Um, so, so now we know that we're probably within the first couple of years ish mm -hmm. of Christ's life when the wise men come. But, um, but that that Herod doesn't really know anything about who, uh, you know, who Christ was. And so why not just kill everybody that's about that age? Yep. 
which is interesting because you know you think about you think about all of Christ's peers, people that would have been maybe future apostles around him, even his cousin uh, John the Baptist, um, being born very close in age to him, um, that they would have all had to have been protected if they're of the same age. Mm-hmm. Or, or from a different area, right? Yeah. But, but, uh, but ultimately, I think Herod was kind of wiping out every child in that whole region uh, to kind of cover his bases, and it obviously doesn't work. But, but pretty, pretty horrific uh, experience. Uh, what was going on there? Yeah, and this was also prophesied. Just the horrific nature of that uh, in the book of Jeremiah. This one's also cited by Matthew. Huh. Uh, but Jeremiah chapter. 31, uh, verse 15. Yeah, let's go there. All right, so Jeremiah 31, 15. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were not. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting, as you read that and as I've been thinking about this flight down into Egypt, there's there's just a part of me that that is thinking back to Moses as mm-hmm. a type of Christ that you know just even in even in that he was placed in this wicker basket sent down the river um, to be protected um, that he's raised by someone with like an unearthly amount of money like the capacity that he has to just give Moses everything he needs as a father figure but not really his father right. Contrary to Joseph's experience, but but maybe in some kind of odd type, the the equivalent of the godly figure on earth, right? That, that, yeah. that we have this like massively powerful man being raising this Moses figure, who at the same time is being mothered by his literal mother, right? So so this maybe there's just some weird correlations between Moses and Christ here as a type of Christ. Yeah. There's uh, actually quite, kind of thing. quite a bit. In fact, there's the really famous prophecy uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. This is Moses speaking. Uh-huh. And he says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Yeah. Uh, and Moses, right? Yeah. yeah. So Christ is, I mean, very similar to Moses, or rather I should say Moses yeah. is very similar to Christ being a type one of another. Yeah, and, and we know that, right? We know that, that mm-hmm. scripturally that there are many prophets that were types of Christ, uh, Isaiah being one that spake mess- messianically often. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, you've got, you've got Joseph, um, so many things, that prophets that we can point to, but, but it's just striking to me about, about Moses' m- m- young life, especially down in Egypt, um, having that kind of experience, um, leading the 12 tribes, I mean, there's so much about Moses that, that we maybe could learn about Christ if we if we separate the the individuals and we look at the we look at the assignments they mm-hmm. were given. We, we maybe start with Moses and look at the assignments he was given to to help the wandering people, right? Uh, to provide water, living water for them, to provide, provide manna from heaven. All these things that Moses did. If we if we symbolically look at those experiences that Moses had. And assignments that he was given, and apply them directly to Christ, we see a, a very spiritual connection to the things Christ did that Moses had done in a very temporal way yeah. prior to Christ's coming. Which I think was very significant for the Jews at this time. Moses was sort of their big prophet. He's right. the one that the law had come from. Yeah. I mean, there there was all these 
other prophets throughout their history, mm-hmm. but Moses was the one their entire lifestyle was based on. Sure. So having Christ have like every single thing in common with Moses, yeah. just sort of on a higher level, yeah. I mean, if they actually take the time to realize that, I don't think there could have been any doubt in their mind that this is the Messiah. Oh, for sure. Because Moses was sort of their first Messiah, right. and now this is their second Messiah. Yeah, this, this higher law that is mm-hmm. now being given to this very temporal lesser law that they had been given by Moses. And Moses pointing, like you just read, pointing away from himself right to the Christ, right? Right to the Savior. That then Christ comes and says, I am who has been prophesied of and claims it, which is such an interesting thing. Tad Callister, who uh, has been the general Sunday school president before in the church, uh, gave a wonderful talk about um, believing Christ effectively. And, and And it says, he says in there that, you, you can't claim Christ as a prophet because he didn't claim himself to be a prophet. He claimed himself to be the Son of God, the Christ. And there are so many faiths on earth um, who, who reference Christ, who recognize Christ as a great prophet, but don't give him the, the credential of being the Son of God, the resurrected Son of God who suffered the atonement, right? Um, the Islamic faith references Christ as a prophet. There are, you know, the, the, many in the Jewish faith reference Christ at, even as someone who, um, who was a good man yeah. teaching good things. But, um, but, but you don't get to do that, I, I think. And, and I, I love that, that phrase, that idea that Christ didn't call himself just a prophet. He called himself the Son of God, and you either claim him as such or you can't claim him because he is either just a massive liar which then would make him a very good prophet, or he really is who he said he was. Yeah. And I think that's significant. Oh, that's really interesting. I think that's significant. So, love it. Okay, so we've got uh, wise men there. We've got uh, Christ having left and lived his young life in Jerusalem, or sorry, from Jerusalem down into Egypt. Um, All of his peers or near peers had been killed at the time, and then Joseph receives a dream. Um... Uh, saying, Arise, take the young, the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. So go home, right? Yep. He, he's, he's allowed to go back now. And, and then we get Christ living in his own land, right? Yep, and that's really sort of where the story ends. Yeah. We don't have too many details. We have a verse or two saying he, he increased in knowledge and wisdom. And, Stature. Right? Yep. yep. And that's where but, the, the youth, whole youth program comes yep. from, right? That we, we would increase in those same three things and those same categories. Yeah, but that's that's really about where it ends. We don't have too many more details until, like you said, where we sort of jump to him at the temple. Yeah. And that's really about yeah. it. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I might just say that that when he, when he went, this is the end of Matthew 2, when mm-hmm. he arose, he took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But he was kind of afraid um, that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod. He was afraid to go thither. He didn't want to go into too close to town, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, or the, that's the country, effectively, yep. right? And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled. So Joseph was probably from that area anyway, and mm-hmm. he kind of just went home, um, but definitely didn't go back to the sort, Bethlehem sort, area. Sort of went around the back way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just to, to provide a safe uh, environment for the Savior to, to be raised in and, and to learn and to grow, to develop. Well, um, Thank you, Stephen. This has been um, it, it's been wonderful to to meet with you again today and to talk this through. Uh, the the Christ birth story is so central to our faith and and to many faiths. 
Um, but because of the fullness of the gospel that we have, our understanding of the ultimate purpose of his coming to earth, um, I think it gives us a little bit added insight into the significance of his birth. Um, you know, a, a couple of weeks back, um, the, the Institute Choir in Boise, uh, it was kind of funny, we, we had uh, some artwork delivered from the church uh, months ago, six, seven months ago, and, and I think there there's a plan to redo some things at the Institute at some mm-hmm. point, but it hasn't happened yet, and I think somebody in the art department found out that we were going to have the remodel done, and, and they put this wonderful art package together and sent it up here, and it's <laughs> massive boxes that, you know, I'm not kidding, they're like seven, eight feet long and five feet tall, and and, uh, and we probably had 20 different pictures that were that big that were sent to the Institute. We got them in the middle of the summer, and we didn't know what to do with them because we have, like, chair rail in the middle of the yeah. wall and pink carpeting underneath it and this sizal everywhere. And, and so we really couldn't put them up, and so we've been storing them. Well, a couple weeks ago, we decided that uh, the choir would have a performance on uh, the quad, the kind of central area in between all the buildings at campus, and just have a sing-along there where we would invite people to come sing with us. And, and we placed these pictures around uh, the quad. And, uh, and and really the message was, because of Christ's birth, we have his life. And these were really large, beautiful paintings of Christ's life and experiences in his life. Um, and and I think, again, that, that without the knowledge we have of the eternal plan, without thinking celestial, we just wouldn't understand the the significance of not only his birth, but any of the events in his life, mm-hmm. right? It just it wouldn't make as much sense. So I'm so grateful that we have that uh, added light knowledge um, that gives us the capacity to understand uh, who he really was and who he really will be for, for you and I. Grateful for that. Yeah. Uh, anything you want to add at the end here as we as we celebrate Christmas and the season and anything you'd, uh, you'd want to share with people? Um. Really, just don't get distracted. I mean, maybe take some time uh, as you're reading uh, the Christmas story, yeah. as you're hearing it, to really find out what's going on. Don't yeah. just breeze through it, yeah. uh, just putting together this picture-perfect scene that we see every year, but really think about what is actually happening. What are these circumstances Christ mm-hmm. is being born into? Who were all these people that were involved? Yeah. And I really see the grandeur of all of it that we sort of miss when we just look at it very broadly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. I might point to a a favorite talk of mine this season. Uh, Elder Holland, President Holland, we can call him now, um, gave a talk some years back in in the First Presidency uh, Christmas devotional uh, where he spoke about Joseph's experience that night. And uh, I think he even even quotes like half of the Grinch in it in there. So I think if you just Google search President Nelson or Elder Nelson and, and the Grinch, it'll come up. You mean Elder Holland? Uh, sorry, Elder mm-hmm. Holland and the Grinch. It'll come up, but uh, but just some beautiful imagery there about how a, how a father, a tender father, in such horrid circumstances, would have felt uh, in in not really being able to protect his son. And so there is so much more to look at than the the little nativity that we have on our front lawn, right? And uh, I love that message, uh, brother. It's so good to be with you. I I just so value and appreciate your your capacity to teach and your uh, your wisdom and studied nature. Um, good luck to you in in your experiences up at BYUI, and and hopefully we get you back in in, in, a, in an off track season, and maybe we have you jump back in and do a do an episode for us. Oh, I'd love to, especially in the Book of Mormon. That's yeah. what, that's my favorite out of all yeah. of it. So if I could be here for an episode or two of that, I would love. Okay, it. we'll do that. We'll do that. We've actually just started recording it uh, two or three weeks ago from the day we're recording this one. So 
Uh, so we're going to be five or six episodes ahead by the time we hit January, and and that'll be nice. But but some wonderful conversations already have happening in that, um, and it'll be a wonderful year to to talk. So we'll definitely have you back. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, brother. Good to see you. Thank you. Thank you.